Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. The Bible says that each one of us individually will one day appear before God and be judged. Today, we're going to discuss this judgment process and see why this is something we should not be fearful of, but should look forward to. On our panel today, we have Harold Harker and Gail Fong. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before we commence our discussion, let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, we're going to be talking about the judgment. We ask for wisdom as we discuss this important topic and wisdom to our viewers as they listen. Mm. We pray in Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen. Amen. Well, to set the scene here, I'm going to um, read two texts to start. I'm going to be reading, firstly, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14. And it says, For God shall bring every work into judgment, whether every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I'm going to follow that now with 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. And it says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Gail, if God knows all things... Why then does he need to hold a judgment process? That's a good question. Well, God holds judgment processes before uh, any punishment for the sake of his creation, for those that are in heaven and those that are on earth. And for example, God carried out an investigation when Adam and Eve sinned and also upon Sodom and Gomorrah before punishment was given. So whilst God knows everything, his created beings don't. And so God's judgment needs to be transparent and public so that all can see that and understand that God is just and not arbitrary. And all creation will have that full confidence that God is fair and that God is love. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that he would want to make sure that everyone knows that he's just. Mm. <clears throat> so, Harold, based on what Gala's just said, is the judgment something we should be scared of? Well, <clears throat> that depends. It depends on where you stand on the issues if you're guilty on things, on the laws you're going to be judged, <clears throat> then you might be fearful. But if you think you're, and you know you're innocent, then you can look forward because you will be vindicated. Now there's a verse on the judgment and it's in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 22. Let me read it. Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Notice, they were the judgment is given in favour of, they are vindicated. And the saints in the Bible, then they are God's people. They're ones who are following him. And so the faithful followers of God have nothing to fear with the judgment because they're vindicated and they're given in favour of it. They're cleared. Isn't that wonderful? It is. It's very, yeah. really, very really yeah, positive. So, Gail, what are the... We're being judged. Judged against what? What are the rules and regulations that are going to apply in the judgment? 
Well, I'd like to read from the book of James, James chapter 2 and verses 9 through to 12. And James writes, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. Um, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. So here, um, the basis of the judgment is God's moral law, his Ten Commandments. And as James puts it, the law of liberty. And in an earlier verse, the royal law. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very clear it is the Ten Commandments because he names some of the commandments. Correct. The first yes. of them, correct, yeah. <clears throat> okay, well, I'd like to read two more verses now. Um, Again, we're just sort of setting the scene for the judgment process here. I'm going to start with Romans 3 and verse 23. Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if I turn now to Romans 6:23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Howard, I've got a question for you. Sin is breaking the law and we're all sinners and the penalty of sin is death, how can any of us be saved? Well, there's a great verse. Paul writes it in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And we are saved by grace. Not what we've done, not our works. God has saved us by grace that Jesus gives. And Romans chapter 3 and verse 16 says, <coughs> if we believe in Jesus, then we have eternal life. To believe in Jesus means to accept in faith his sacrifice for our sins and then we follow his requirements. You know, Jesus said himself, John 14 verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, let me read another verse in Revelation about the judgment and it's in chapter 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So we are judged by our works and our works are just the evidence that comes out of the Holy Spirit working in us empowering us to live by the faith of Jesus. So there is a judgment, but we don't have to worry because we, know, we have the grace of Jesus and we believe in him. It's important to understand that point because Amen. if we're judged by our works, we think we've got to keep the law. If we try to keep the law by ourselves, we will fail because we're saved by grace through the sure. faith of, in Christ. Thank you for that, Harold. So, Gail, let's move on to the judgment process. Um, describe this judgment process that God's got in store for us. Well, there are three stages to the judgment process. Um, there's the judgment that occurs before the second coming of Jesus Christ, before his advent, and that's called the pre-advent judgment. And then when he takes his redeemed home to heaven for the thousand years, there's, that's called the millennial judgment. And then there is the carrying out 
of the sentence of the judgment, the executive judgment that happens at the end of the thousand years. So the judgment process ends with the vindication of the righteous and the eternal death of the wicked. So there's three stages, a pre-advent, yeah. a millennial and an, ex, 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 an executive judgment. Yes. Mm. Can I get the word out? Let's look at each of those three phases in a bit more detail. Um, but to understand the pre-advent judgment, first of all, we have to understand what actually happens at the second coming, at the advent of Christ. Correct. So, so Harold, describe what happens to humanity when Christ returns. Um, well, let's read what the Bible says. Paul wrote to the, those in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 and 17. Great verses. Let me read. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. You know, at the second coming, those that have died in faith in Jesus, they're resurrected, they're brought back to life and they meet Jesus in the clouds as they're taken up. Then those who are living and are faithful to Jesus they go too. The wicked stay in their graves. Let me read what he also wrote in the second book of Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of, the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Mm. And so here you see uh, human history as we know it now, is finished. And uh, the only beings left, because the dead are raised, those who are in Jesus, the righteous who are in Jesus are taken up. Who's left? There's only Satan and his evil angels left on this world. And so where with Jesus in heaven? The wicked are dead. End of story. That's important and interesting because there are some folk today who believe that um, the righteous are taken away and there's still, a, there's still people left on the earth. Now, it's very clear from what you just read. Mm. No one's left. You're either in heaven with, with Christ or you're dead. Correct. Yes. Yes, okay. Um, I want to read another text now. And Gail, I've got a question for you on this. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And it says, For we must all be... All be sorry. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to all that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Well, again, this is very clear. It's talking about a judgment process. Um, but, Gail, do we, based on what Harold has just said, do we all literally stand in court before God? Um, explain the basis for the, the pre-advent judgment. Well, I'll turn, turn to the book of John, John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. And these are the words of Jesus. And the Bible reads, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice 
and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So the Bible talks of two resurrections, but here the first resurrection will be the blessed reward of the righteous at the second coming of Jesus. Now, just turning to another verse in the book of Revelation, following on from that in Revelation 22 and verse 12, the Bible reads, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. So if Christ brings his reward with him at his second coming, his advent, when he comes in power and great glory, then all humans must have been judged before that time in the pre-advent judgment. And so... Uh, those in the graves are not aware that actually judgment is t that their judgment has taken place, but um, they are judged by what has been recorded yeah. in God's books of their yeah. deeds and of their whole life. And as you began reading right in Ecclesiastes 12:14, where God brings yeah. everything into the judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. You know, it used to puzzle me. Uh, I used to be in another denomination. And I was taught that when I died, I went straight to heaven. And I was always puzzled, why would Jesus need to bring his reward with him? I'm already in heaven. If I, <laughs> it, it, There was a big disconnect there. Sure. And when you go through it, it makes so much sense that he mm. comes to, when he comes a second time, he brings his reward because those haven't received their reward yet. yet. Yes. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's keep moving now. We've got, I want to read, move into the book of Revelation. We're going to, Read now Revelation chapter 14 and verses 6 and 7. And Revelation 14 uh, verse 6 and 7 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven's and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So question, Harold, um, it's very clear that says the hour of his judgment is come. So a judgment's already started. And this is in line with what yeah. Gal has just said. When did this pre-advent judgment start? Do we know the answer to that? Well, it will do. We go back to the book of Daniel and it describes both the time and the nature of the pre-advent judgment. And it's a study all of its own. But let me make it brief. In Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, it talks about 2,300 days, a symbolic time prophecy, a day for a year, and that 2,300 years finished in 1844. And so the, the Bible tells you exactly when that pre-advent judgment started so that Jesus can then come and bring his rewards. Right. So that's, that's some time ago, this judgment's been going on, 1844. Sure. Gala, are there any other scriptures we can refer to which back up this pre-advent judgment? It's interesting that Jesus told a parable actually that relates to this very aspect. And uh, it's in Matthew chapter 22, the parable of the wedding feast. And in this parable, there's an investigation of, investigation of the wedding attire of the guests before the actual wedding feast. And that word is key, before. And um, here, the wedding itself was analogous of the second coming of Christ. And the guests had to wear clothes 
clothing suitable for the wedding. And so uh, if anyone did not have on the wedding garment, which was analogous of Christ's righteousness, then they would not be allowed to the wedding. And so I'd just like to read this passage um, from Matthew chapter 22 and just reading verses 11 through to 13. And it says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on the wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's extremely serious. And that wedding garment was a free gift that this attendant could have worn freely, but he chose not to. And in the rejection of the wedding garment is like rejecting the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his merits on our behalf. Our own goodness and works would never suffice for Mm. entrance into God's kingdom. Mm. We need a saviour. Amen. Amen to that. Harold, there are some people who, uh, who believe that God predestines some to be saved and some to be lost. What would you say to that sort of uh, argument? Well, each one of us is morally responsible for our own destiny. And the judgment is not the time when God uh, arbitrarily decides this or that because it investigates our choices and our choice. Have I accepted Jesus in this life? And then if I have accepted him, that's manifest by my works. So I choose by my response to Jesus, by his grace, will I be there or there? My choice. God just marks my choice in the judgment. Yeah, look, having free choice makes no sense if it's all predestined. Correct. Because you could choose to do whatever you want to do. You've got a bad and you've still got to be saved if you have that sort of philosophy. It wouldn't be love. No, no, it wouldn't be. Gail, just on another question here. There are also, apart from some people who believe that um, we're predestined to be lost or saved, there are others who believe we'll get a second chance. What would you say to that? That's an interesting concept because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes uh, 9 verse 5 that the dead know not anything. And then the psalmist David writes in Psalm 146 and verse 4 that that the day we die, in that very day our thoughts perish. And there's an interesting verse in the book of Hebrews. It's very short, but it's very powerful. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and it says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Mm. So just that very short verse, very powerful. Once we die, the next thing we know, there will be the judgment. So the concept or the teaching that there is an afterlife and a second death, a second chance to repent is not, it's just not there. Mm. It's just not there. Yeah, you've you've got to have a, a clear view of the state of the dead that when you die, all consciousness goes. And therefore, the next thing you will notice, because time will be meaningless, will be, yeah, yeah. Christ will have his yes, reward sure. or you'll wake up in the second resurrection. Yes. OK, let's move on to the, the second phase of judgment. And the second phase of the judgment is the millennial judgment. So where do the righteous go, Harold, after the second coming? 
Well, Jesus made that very clear. Let me read his words, John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so all those who believe and are living in Jesus, the dead and the righteous are taken with him. Revelation 20 and verse 5 says, the rest of the dead stay in their graves for a thousand years. That's what we call the millennium. And so the earth is left desolate just with Satan and his angels. Mm. No one to tempt. In no one to tempt. In, in prison. Mm. So, Gail, the righteous are in heaven for a thousand years. What are they doing there? What are, how are they going to take their time? What, what are they going to be doing? Well, John writes about this in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. And the Bible reads uh, there, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then Paul also writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse, verses 2 and 3, he writes there, uh, do, you, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge? the smallest matters. Do you not know that we shall judge angels how much more the things that pertain to this life? So right here, there will be surprises to uh, in the minds of the righteous. And when we get to heaven, we may be surprised that there's someone there that we didn't expect. Or um, we may be surprised that others may be surprised that those who expected will not be there. So because God's the only one that can read the heart. And so there will be time for the righteous during this 1000 years to go through with the Lord the uh, the detail of the uh, of the of those that are not there so that they can understand why they're not there and the choices mm. that they made in their lives. It's a powerful concept to think that sure. we will have opportunity to examine all the mm -hmm. books and to see why the people we thought should be there aren't there and those that mm. are there, why they got there. Yes. So Harold, just another aspect. What's another aspect why it's important for humans to be involved in this judgment process in that thousand years? Well, in the pre-advent judgment, it was only the heavenly intelligences who were there in God. Daniel writes in chapter 7 uh, and verse 9 and 10, I watched till thrones were put in place. That's judgment. Mm. The Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And then it says a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And so the heaven knows it was a great fair judgment. But those who are on earth don't know. And so during that thousand years, 
I want to know. And the whole universe needs to know God is fear. And so not only were they justice done, but everyone knows that God's character is vindicated the way he treats us. Mm. And this goes back, I think, to the first point you said, Gail, when God has uh, a judgment, it's public, it's open, it's totally transparent. And um, yeah, the heavenly beings know God is just. It's our turn in a thousand years to know that God is just. Mm. So Gail, what, do, what else does it say about God's character um, that the redeemed have full access to heaven's records during that time? It is really amazing, but it brings out God is love and everything that takes place needs to be viewed through that lens. And no one of the lost will face the final punishment without the redeemed going, having been taking part in this process of this, um, this judging in heaven and understanding why God has judged us. And this demonstrates God's openness and transparency. And um, just not to the saints, but to the whole creation, to the whole universe. Mm -hmm. All all heaven and earth and everyone will understand. And there will be zero doubt in the minds of of any living creature about God's judgments. We can can all have total confidence that God is just and Mm. God is fair and God is love. Okay, well, look, let's let's move on to that. The last phase of the judgment, which is the the executive judgment. I got to say at that time properly, the executive judgment. Harold, question to you, what happens at the end of the thousand years? Well, Revelation tells us that chapter 20, verse seven to nine. Now the thousand years we have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations. They're all raised for the second time. And they gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Then they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So the wicked are finally destroyed. What does God then do for the righteous? Chapter 21 and verse 2 says, I, John, saw the holy city coming down out from heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. Satan is finished and God brings the city back to this world and makes it new again, this whole world. So everyone knows God is just and right. Satan and the unrepented ones, they're destroyed and God alone is there with the righteous. The end to judgment, a fairness, and is seen justice is there. And it's, <clears throat> it's interesting too that, Gail, you were saying that everyone knows the only people at this stage who didn't know that God was just were the wicked who were raised, but it also says that every knee shall bow. Wow, that's yes. right. So, so God being totally public, the heavenly beings knew first, then the, the humans in the thousand years, and finally the wicked get to acknowledge Correct. that God is just and God is love. Mm. It's amazing. Nothing to be afraid of. Well, thank you, uh, Harold. Thank you, Gail, for the, uh, your comments. That's all we have time for today. But by being aware that there's going to be a judgment and that it is already in progress should make us think twice about our choices. God knows every secret and all will be out in the open in the judgment. There'll be no secret thing. The good news is that as we accept Jesus, 
confess and turn away from our sins and build our relationship with him, mm. we will have nothing to worry about. And as it says in Daniel 7.22 that Harold mentioned, the judgment is made in favour of God's people. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teachers' notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us if you wish on LGS at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time and God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.